So, dads, have you ever told your son or your daughter, you cannot have a cookie before dinner? Have you ever done that? You can't have a cookie before dinner. Hands off, keep out of the cookie jar. Then the child goes and they take the cookie from the cookie jar and you call them on it and they say something like, but dad, I thought you said I could have one. Or maybe a more recent example, you're driving along and all of a sudden your heart misses a beat because you see these terrifying blue lights in your rear view mirror, right? And you're stopped and you say, but officer, I could swear I wasn't speeding. Today we're going to talk about truth in lying. Why is it that even though we know that the best policy is always to tell the truth, in fact, if you're over 18 years old, your life experiences in in the area of finances or relationships tells you that telling the truth always is a better idea, and yet we constantly lie. We lie as a child because we want to get something like that cookie, even though we've been told not to. We lie to authorities, even though it's obvious. We are caught red-handed in our mistake, and yet we try to lie our way out of it. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, This question, why do we lie so much? And one related to it, why do we lie chiefly to ourselves? The fact is, if you lie to yourself, you're probably lying to other people as well. And if you're lying to other people, you lie to yourself first. So, here's the answer. The fact is, we are not on a truth quest, (laughs) right? You don't wake up this morning and say, you know, I think I am going to uh, seek truth, wisdom, integrity and enlightenment today. No, we are all on a happiness quest. Our human nature is such that we want to be happy. We want to feel happy. We want to feel good about ourselves, and we do that most of the time by doing things that will make us happy. So here's an example. How many of you out there are coffee drinkers? Any coffee drinkers? Did you have your coffee this morning? Anybody go to Starbucks this morning? Not yet too early for that. Anybody going to go later? Anybody go to Starbucks at all anymore? I I do not go to Starbucks very often. Every now and then I do. But I understand that there are some out there, none of you, of course, because you are godly people, but you would not spend $4.15 on, what is it, a coffee, latte, venti, something, something, right? Why would you spend $4 on a cup of coffee when... I can go right in there, and I have my Folgers in there, and I can make 200 cups of coffee for four bucks. (laughs) Well, some people will do that because it makes them happy. It makes them feel good. In some cases, it makes their coworkers feel good, too, because they're really grouchy when they don't have their Starbucks, right? So that is what they do. Well, let me pick on somebody else this morning, (laughs) because that's what I do, right? (laughs) So... How many of you have clothes in your closet that you haven't worn in the last year? Anybody? 
Me too. Why do we do that? Why do we continue to buy new clothes even though we have a closet full of stuff that is perfectly good? In fact, some of you today will be going shopping and you're going to buy new clothes. Maybe you're just browsing on the internet because that's what you do and you find something and it catches your eye and you think, oh, I got to have that. Why do we do that? Because if it's new and stylish, we feel better about ourselves. We want to be happy. Well, here's another one. How many of you have a cell phone? Raise your hand. Just about everybody. Do you try and get out of your current contract before the old one expires? Do you spend all kinds of time and energy trying to finagle your way into getting a new phone even before the old one in that contract has expired, even though that cell phone that you're using works perfectly fine? I know some of you, you even accidentally drop those things so you can get a new one, right? Some of you even have two contracts at the same time because you can't wait to get the new one. And we won't even talk about cars and trucks and houses. Why do we have things that we know in the long run are not going to make us happy? Because we have this problem in our minds of not being able to distinguish today from tomorrow. Now, I want to make a point here. It's right here in your notes. God is not against your happiness. (laughs) God is not there up in the heavens wanting to make you miserable. In fact, God likes you to be happy. It's part of the abundant life that we frequently talk about. So, being on a happiness quest is not necessarily wrong. Here's the caveat. Unless happiness points in one direction and wisdom and integrity and truth are pointing in another. So God wants us to be happy, but above all, he wants us to seek wisdom, truth, and integrity. Now again, here's the problem. We can be happy today about something, and we can be unhappy about the very same thing tomorrow. So I've got some friends from high school who have been smoking for 40 years. Now, why did they start smoking in the first place? They thought it would be fun. They thought it would be exciting. Some of them wanted to rebel against the authority. But it made them happy, so they started smoking. Later on in life, they kept smoking because it made them feel good because it helped them keep the weight off. And so they continue to smoke. Do you think any of those people who are smoking now that have been smoking for 40 years are happy that they're still smoking? No. They're not. When they, when they got to that fork in the road, they wished that they had not started smoking. And yet, they did. So, happy today may not mean happy tomorrow. So again, why do we knowingly choose paths that take us where we've already decided 
that we don't want to go. Last week, I talked a little bit about uh, relationships and the choices that we make. These days, in, in marriage counseling, I talk to people about the choices that they are going to make for the rest of their lives. And I counsel them to make sure that they have made the right decision. So often, when someone has a boyfriend or a girlfriend, they just decide, well, this person makes me happy, so I'm going to stay with them. Even though their mother or their father or their good friends or someone else has told them that they are not godly people. They are going to lead them down the wrong path. And the person knows that it's a bad choice. And yet they stay with that person. They may even move in with that person because they want to be happy now. And they don't think about being happy later. There is something that psychologists call confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is something that empowers us to see what we want to see and ignore everything else, even if it is true. So confirmation bias helps to explain why a mother and a daughter can look at a boy and see him completely differently. It can explain why the daughter is in love with this young man and the mother sees all of his faults because they're only looking at it through their particular lens. It's why Christians can talk about creation. They can look at nature and see that there is a a God, a divine presence who has made all of this, that there has to be some kind of a plan in order for the world to develop how it has. On the other hand, there can be those who are atheists who say, absolutely not, there is no God at all evolved over millions and millions of years. Confirmation bias. Now, I thought about this for a long time. Should we go to politics? No. Why? Because of confirmation bias, right? No matter what I would say, even if it were true, because of your bias, you would be either here or here, most likely. And regardless of who you believe is the best candidate, whatever I say is going to trigger an agreement or a disagreement. We have all of these biases in our life. Even if something is pointed out to us as true and wise and prudent. So as we take a look at our Old Testament reading for today, we get a better idea of why this is so. Now, of course, we need a little bit of background, so let me give it to you. The year is 587 B.C. Got that? 587 B.C. See, King Zedekiah, he is the king of Judah, the people of God in the southern part of the kingdom that we know as Israel. Zedekiah has been warned by the prophet Jeremiah repeatedly that he should turn away from the worship of false gods, put away the idols, turn back to Yahweh, the God of the Bible, and 
then God will bless the nation. But if he doesn't turn away, they are going to be destroyed. And on top of that, Jeremiah also tells him that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is going to be the protector of Judah. Now the problem is Nebuchadnezzar charges a very large fee for that protection. And Zedekiah loves nice things, and he wants to have it all for himself. He doesn't want to pay the tribute. So God tells him, don't rebel. The prophet Jeremiah tells him, don't rebel. So, of course, what does Zedekiah do? Anybody? He rebels. Because he has a confirmation bias. He already knows what he wants to do. He also knows what he ought to do. But he does what he wants to do because he does exactly what we do as well. We lie to ourselves. We become the sleaziest, slimiest, slickest salesman that we have ever seen and ever heard in order to get our way. And so, Zedekiah rebels. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar rushes in, crushes the rebellion, lays siege to Jerusalem, starves its inhabitants, And now Zedekiah comes back to Jeremiah and he cries, can't you do anything? Can't you convince God to change his mind? And Jeremiah says, sorry, too late. Well, there is one thing you could do. You could open the gates, let the army in, give up, and you will save your people. Sounds prudent. If you're the king, save your people. But no, Zedekiah only cares about himself, and he knows that if he surrenders, he will be captured along with his family, and they will be slaves in Babylon. And so he tries to sneak away in the middle of the night. But of course he's caught, and he has to watch as all of his children are slaughtered by the Babylonians. And then they put his eyes out, they wrap him in golden chains, and take him away to Babylon. Now, you just heard that story. What would you have done? We say, really? We would have been different. We would have cared about other people. We would have cared about our family. We would have cared about the kingdom. We would have obviously listened to Jeremiah and to God. But Jeremiah tells us differently. He says these words, The heart is deceitful above all things. Can you repeat that with me all together? The heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart, my heart, every heart. Now there's a difference between deceit and dishonesty. Dishonesty is, well, pretty easy to recognize. It's the opposite of being honest. And so when people are dishonest, we say, oh, they just told a lie. And it would be easy if our own heart would just be dishonest, but it's deceitful. It has an agenda. 
It tries to trick us. And because of that, it is extremely dangerous. Now, you would also think that the older that we get, the more mature that we get, the wiser, supposedly, that we get, the less deceitful we would be. But it's not true. We don't outgrow it. We don't outmature it. And Jeremiah says not only that, there is no cure. But there is hope. Though we can't fix it, though we can't cure it, God has a remedy. We went through it again earlier in our service. We call it confession. So the very first thing is simply to admit that our heart is deceitful, to admit that it cannot be trusted. Do you ever wonder why we do confession every single week? You would think, you know, I confessed last week. God forgave me. I should be better. I I shouldn't do that thing that I keep doing all the time. And yet, here we are, week after week after week after week after week. Let's just admit Our hearts, our mind, our brain, our desires are not always the best. They're not the best for us. They're not the best for others. Nor are they pleasing to God. So we admit it. And then we ask it. By that I mean ask this question. Am I being honest with myself? And then put on this little word, really? Am I being honest with myself? Really? Ask yourself then why you do what you do. That's the third thing. Be curious. Why do I do what I do? The reason that I eat so much when I know I shouldn't is what? The reason that I don't talk to my kids the way that I should is what? The reason that I rack up so much credit card debt is what? Really. The reason that I want to leave my husband or wife is what? Really. The reason that I no longer go to church is what? Really? It's terrifying, isn't it? To admit to ourselves and to God the real reasons why we do what we do. But you'll find that as you become more honest with yourself, you also become more honest with other people. And even though telling the truth can be terrifying, it is also incredibly liberating. You know the feeling that you get during the confession? When I ask you to make your silent confession to the Lord, nobody else hears it that great feeling that you get, the burden that is lifted off your heart and your mind, 
when you confess to the Lord. Freedom is the result of confession. Freedom from your lies, freedom from your deceit, freedom from bondage to sin. And that's the freedom that God promises in the abundant life here on earth and the eternal life that he promises to you that is yours forever in heaven. It's my prayer for each one of you that as you know the truth in Jesus Christ, that you will tell the truth to God, to others, and to yourself so that you might be set free, that you would have the courage and the clarity to know exactly why you do what you do so that as you repent from this direction from your bad intentions to change and follow Jesus once again to the cross may he grant it to you for Jesus' sake Amen